Good morning. We're glad to have you guys here today. Um, before I begin today, I want to talk about our drummer. Because I always like to gossip about people when they're, not, when they're here. But Brett, uh, Brett here, um, we received a phone call from Brett uh, last week. And, and uh, Brett gets his phone call and says, there's some things that change. I got a phone call from Brett, and I probably need a drummer. It was all negative. And he was worried. And so what happened, Brett is in a band called Half a Lot, and he's been in this band for quite a while, and they just signed a record deal with RCA last week. And so, so we're excited about it. And so if you go on YouTube and type in the word Half a Life, and then you'll see him in concert and stuff like that. But he has to go off the rotation in order be with his family in order to be on tour and write music. So we want to thank Brett for being part of our rotation and our drums, and we just wish him the best and hope the best of success. And when you receive that Grammy, thank me. It's all about me. When you hold that Grammy, thank you, Brett. Congratulations, buddy. You know, Jennifer and I are sad. Because last week she said to me, she goes, guess what? She didn't say it that exciting. But she goes, guess what starts next week? And I go, what? She goes, the Hallmark Christmas movies. <laughs> and I've, we believe in Christmas magic. We really do. And we're like hardcore into Christmas. So sure enough, it started this week. And we watched three of them this weekend. Because of all the stuff that's been going on in our life and all the stuff that's going on in society, sometimes you just need a break about this could be beautiful. And so I sat there and I was watching it. And I get emotional in these movies. And if you watch the Hallmark movies, the storyline's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. And so what's interesting about this, I was thinking, my goodness, my wife and I could be a Hallmark movie ourselves. And so I was thinking, pastor at a small church just comes, and the only single woman at the church is sitting in the congregation. They become friends. But, girl, but the girl has a boyfriend out of the state. And so then we're friends. See, it works out. That's what happens. And so at Chris's gift, she gives me two gifts. And I go, I'm thinking, this girl's into me. But she has a boyfriend. So when she left home for Christmas, see how it works? In a snowy place, I get a phone call just around Christmas that I just broke up with my boyfriend. And so therefore, I'm excited. This could be a whole Hallmark thing. So I'm looking at my, I'm looking at my wife and going, oh my goodness, you're gorgeous to me. You're beautiful to me. And she's in her pajamas sprawled out on the couch watching this movie. And I gave her a hug and I said, honey, we could have a Hallmark movie of ourselves. And then without a split of a second, she says this. It wouldn't be a Hallmark Christmas movie. It would be a murder mystery. <laughs> I ain't making this up. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to get in your word. We thank you today 
that as we end this series of starting over, we pray, Lord, that this book is just so powerful that we just ask you, Lord, to transform us, to change us. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Now, I want to start off by an event that happened 10 years ago. I kind of want to set this message up. And 10 years ago, that uh, my dad and my mother was still coherent. My mother has dementia, but she didn't have it then about 10 or 12 years ago. And I set up a meeting with our denominational leaders where Bishop Thomas, it was a group of ones from the Washington Property and Finance and Idaho Property and Finance came together, and we were going to transfer this whole ministry from the Nazarene denomination, which my dad's from, into the Free Methodist ministry because they would be kind of more to take to receive this ministry. And so it was amazing that I orchestrated this, but I was so nervous about it. And so I was nervous about it because I've never been in this position before of meeting and orchestrating a meeting with the big wigs in our conference, in our denomination. So I sat down with my dad, and I went over the agenda, and I said, Dad, and I was right in front of my mom, I said, Dad, promise me something. Do not bring up my disabilities. Do not talk about them. This is not the place for it. Don't bring the tremor up. Don't bring the learning disability. Don't bring anything up. We need to focus on this. Because I told them, they don't know me. They don't know this stuff, and I just want to get this working. He goes, okay, I'm not going to say it. And mom goes, he's not going to say it. So in this meeting, halfway through the meeting, that we're sitting down down there, and and I'm interjecting because I wanted to go through it. You know, when you have control issues, you kind of interject to get it to go a certain place where you want it to go. And we were getting to, to a point of looking like the deal was going to happen. And then I saw my dad start to get emotional. And I was going... And he goes, Bishop, I want to thank you. And I go, and I said, don't go there. Don't go there. Because I knew what he was doing. And he goes, and he started crying. Thank you for accepting my son with his disabilities. Thank you, because the denomination that I'm part of had no room for him because of it. And I'm thinking, you know how your body temperature gets like 150 degrees? And I go, he didn't do this, did he? He didn't do this. And so what's interesting, when we got in the car, I didn't say anything until I got back up, which my mom. And I said, and she goes, how'd it go? And I go, Dad talked about my disabilities. And she goes, why did you talk about his disabilities? He told you not to. And basically he told me, just settle down. I know what I'm doing. And the thing is, what it's interesting that I realize that when people label you, whether you're black, or whether you have another race, or whether you're a woman, or whether you have disabilities, you are limited to their perspective. That you can't do something at all. And basically, my dad always believes that the reason I got this position is because people feel sorry for me. Or people do this. And so this passage, as we're ending this series today, it's going to be really interesting. Because I love this series called Starting Over. 
And Mark chapter 10 is fantastic because it talks about a man with disabilities and talks about a man's story, which was interesting about this and how Jesus dealt with a man with disabilities. And see, this is where it's interesting because if you look on the screen, it's a story on how a disability created an advantage to those who were more abled that were at a disadvantage. There are some powerful things about having a disability that I wouldn't change my life at all, even if I'm judged. But see, the gospel, if you understand in that, in that time of era, that basically if you were lame or you couldn't walk or you had a disability or you had a disease, you, all you could do is beg. You had to be at the mercy of other people. You couldn't get a job. You couldn't do anything. And see, to me, this is powerful because my grandfather had a disease called retinitis pigmentosis, which causes blindness. It starts with the tunnel vision and then goes in. He was blind at 18, regained his sight at 19, and went blind again at 20. And he passed away at 102 years old. But So I understand the disabilities. I understand the, the, um, the blindness. But this is interesting because my grandfather, when he lost his sight, his awareness, his senses became so powerful. The senses of touch, the sense of awareness, the sense of smell became so strong. And so he knew that his body could compensate. And so the same thing with this blind man, because somehow he knew that there was a crowd that was coming up. And he knew that it was Jesus and Messiah was coming up. But yet he was blind. And so in Mark chapter 10, verse 47, says, When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And so this is where it's interesting. If you break that down, when he says the son of David, somehow, some way, this blind, disabled person knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He knew it because his senses were so strong. But then when he says, have mercy on me, why? Because in back in those days when you were disabled or you were blind or whatever disease you went through, it's because there, there were certain sins in your life that you were holding. And so therefore, when you were blind, they believed you were evil. It's just like when you look at someone's eyes, it's a reflection of their soul. That's what we hear in the Hallmark movies. <laughs> but when a blind man, there's darkness. So they believed that the reflection was darkness in the man's soul. This is why he's yelling, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And so the thought is, I was thinking, why people would be excited about how this evil man or this blind man or this person with disability would yell out to Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You would think the crowd would be excited that maybe Jesus can heal this man. But if you look at Mark chapter 10, verse 48, it was the opposite. In fact, it was this. The manly, many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. See, they limited him. They basically told him to shut up and settle because you're a man with disabilities. You're an evil person, and you need to stay, and all you can do is beg. And so they were trying to drown his voice out, but the more drowning out his voice, the more he began to yell, 
have mercy on me. And so why do people put us in categories? Why do people label us? And during this relaunch, it's interesting, when I started this, I started the series with when the disciples were trying to get rid of the children because they wanted the children to shut up and settle. And the thing is, it's interesting because the children back in those days were devalued as human beings. And it's fascinating to me that people with disabled disabilities were devalued as well. But somehow Jesus grabbed one of the child, children and said, you must become like this child in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. See, look on the screen. Mark chapter 10 is about seeing the world the way God sees it. It's not surprising that it ends with a story about a blind man given sight. This whole text in Mark chapter 10 does a full circle, doesn't it? It takes someone that's been looked down down and again a disabled person and so it's interesting to me that the children were not the blind one the children were not the disabled one the blind man was not the disabled one because the blind man had a spiritual insight that the ones that could see were completely blind themselves a lot of us have what's called spiritual blindness and so therefore this blind man i believe his senses that he had a spiritual awareness more so than a lot of the religious leaders of, of, of that time that he could identify. See, back on the screen, they had no faith. They believed that this man was blind because he was evil and that he was doomed to be blind because of it. He was beyond hope. So therefore, he was basically just pestering Jesus and wasting his time. So they told him to shut up and to settle see where I'm going with this? But the thing is, this man was not having it. This man had faith. Your pastor has to live with faith. Where I'll be shut up and settle. I'll collect disability, which doctors have told me to. But it's about having mercy. And having Christ saying, you know what? Just because the color of my skin or just because of my disability, or just because I'm a child and I'm young. Jesus loves me. He died for me. And so on the screen, this man could already see what those who could see couldn't see. He had the faith that Jesus could change his situation, so he didn't shut up and settle, but yet he persisted. So this is Jesus' response because it says Jesus was walking and all of a sudden he hears this blind man say, Son of David, have mercy on me. Then Jesus stops. He hears the brokenhearted. He hears the people in despair. He hears the lonely people. And so therefore he stops. Here's this one man through a huge crowd that were trying to drown him out. And Jesus stood there and said, call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. Good grief, Jesus is calling you. You know what Jesus calls you every day? He calls your name. And this was the response of the blind man. And verse uh, 50, So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. How he got there, I have no idea. He was blind. But he got there. Then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? He was using it for a teaching moment. 
But the blind man didn't go, duh. <laughs> okay. But he knew exactly what he wanted Jesus to do. And this is what he said. My teacher, let me see again. Which reinforces that he saw before. Like my grandfather. Probably had retinitis pigmentosis. So therefore it reinforces the conventional thinking of that some evilness or some sin in his life that causes blindness. It's interesting how we can label somebody and people just because they have disabilities or just because the color of their skin. See, if you look on the screen, we often judge people based on what we think we see. These people in the story looked at the man's blind eyes and saw sin. Jesus looked at the man's heart and saw faith. Isn't that interesting? Jesus sees what's in. We judge what's out. And this is where it's powerful, I think. Because in Mark chapter 10, verse 52, he says this. And, and, and this is interesting. He says, go, your faith, he says, has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and he followed him on the way. So not only regained his sight and go, woo, I get a job, but he said, I am going to follow Jesus. I am a witness of what Jesus can do. I am an example of the healing process what Jesus can do. And I am going to continue to follow him. Here's the problem. All of us have voices in our heads or voices, external voices, and I've put this on the screen, to shut up and settle. We're always told that. Just shut up. Just settle. You don't want to be... Bring attention to yourself. Just go with the flow. And so what happens is when somebody labels you, like with disabilities, or I've had people label me to the point of retardation. I've had it all. That basically all the labeling people have given us, all the voices that have been loud, have told us to shut up and to settle whatever that may be, but that's what we do. And so the minute that we decide to live beyond the label that other people that have brokenness have given us, and that all of a sudden we decide, you know, the only label that I'm going to live with is that I am a son of Jesus. I'm a son of God. And that's a label that I need to live with. And therefore, when I go beyond my father's expectation, or I go beyond the church's expectations, or any type of expectation, you would think you would get a totally group, oh man, you exceeded our expectation. But sometimes it's not the case. Those loud voices try to drown us out. It's called a system. It's called a game system that I believe. It's called shut up and settle. Because right here, we settle into some type of dysfunctional system among us to that, that voices. And it becomes hostile and violent when we try to bring awareness to a situation that all of a sudden breaks that label of what we want. And so racism is one of the biggest things about a dysfunctional system. And so, therefore, it's very destructive when a person of color stops listening to the voices of shouting. And basically, the voice is, and I put it on the screen, shut up and settle for being a second-class citizen. 
Just go with it. Just move with it. Just shut up. Just settle with it. See, this is what I'm learning here. And this is a whole process that I'm learning. It's on the screen. When a person has a vision for something other than what they have been told to shut up and settle for, it is called faith, right? And so they already see something that others can't. And where others only see the status quo, they see new possibilities. The blind man already saw a possibility that the people around him could not. Jesus simply made it into a reality. That basically he broke it. And see, I look back at history, and we're living in current history as well, and sometimes the history hasn't changed much. But I'm fascinated with the history of Rosa Parks. Now, we all know the story of Rosa Parks. And the thing is, with her sitting on the bus, this was planned. She was a civil rights person. She knew what she was doing. And she had a vision that the public buses need to be integrated, not segregated. And so, therefore, she sat in there and waited until a lot of white people got on the bus where it was her turn to go on the back of the bus, and she refused to do it because she imagined what it would be like to have an integration within the public busing system. See, on the screen, Rosa became like a child again. She saw the world with imagination. She saw a different possibility. She saw the world the way God sees it. And because of that, she could no longer shut up and settle for being a second-class citizen. Therefore, she refused to give up her seat. And what happens when we refuse to go with the status quo, when I refuse to go with the status quo of people with disabilities or people with, with Parkinson's or dystonia or learning disabilities, whatever that is, people don't embrace it. It's fascinating to me, our culture. And so, therefore, the voices get louder to tell us to settle. Rosa Parks, if you, if you know the history, after that, Rosa Parks and her family could not get steady work the rest of their lives after that. There was a price to be paid. And so she paid it, and she knew she was going to pay it. But yet the voices back in history tried to drown them out. See, it was a struggle, but her faith of what she could already see became actually happening. That all of a sudden, could you imagine in our culture that we live in today, that there's so much fighting in our culture, so much divisiveness between Republicans and, and, and Democrats, so much anger, so much going on in our temples where you can't worship without worrying about being massacred. I'm sitting there going, God forbid, I hope no one shoots this service. That's not on my mind all the time. But can you imagine as a following Christian, instead of being divisive, that we can see us working together, that we can see things different despite that. And yes, we see people that want to make a difference, that want to bring unity, and guess what? Those voices are get louder and louder and louder. And then sometimes I'm the voice that tries to drown people out too because it doesn't affect me, whatever it is. 
And so this is where, when I stop being the voice to drown people out that have an imagination that the world can unify together, we're at the 20th anniversary of Matt Shepard, Matthew Shepard, who was killed because he was gay. But a lot of people did not shut up after that. And a lot of people stood up and said, being gay is not a place to be killed. And you should see on the news, Matthew Shepard's ashes are in this huge temp, uh, uh, Pentecostal church or something like that. They moved his ashes in there. And they did an interview with his parents. He made a difference. People began to stand up and they began to do this. And so what voices are telling you? What voices are telling this church? What voices are telling your pastor right now to shut up and settle during the recalibration? You can't do it. You're disabled. You're divorced. You're this, you're that, you're this, you're that. You can't do it. Just shut up and settle. Jesus doesn't call us to shut up and settle. Jesus, in fact, where he asked a blind man, what do you want me to do for you? This is how I look at it. Jesus stops and hears my cries and says, what do you want me to do with you? And I have to honestly say, use me. Give me the courage to speak up. Because a lot of times I'm afraid to even say things because I don't want to be criticized. I told Brooke, I said, Brooke, no, Brooke's fanatic. If you watch him on Facebook. And so I went to Brooke because I thought he would be encouraging me. And I said, you know, I want to do a sermon titled what I really want to say. <laughs> what I really want to say. And I told him what I want to say, and he goes, ooh. ooh. <laughs> I go, if Brooke says that, then forget it. But it's about stand up and not to settle. And so my last point here, if you look on the screen, I'm going to challenge all of us, including myself, because it's easy for me to all of a sudden settle. Are you going to shut, down, shut up and settle? Or will you go back to having faith as a child? Will you begin to dream, imagine, and have a vision for what could be? When the voices begin to tell you to shut up and settle, will you obey them? Or will you shout even louder to Jesus to intervene and help your vision for how God sees things to become a reality? If Jesus were to ask you today, what do you want me to do for you, how would you answer? This takes courage. But you know what? I would rather have a life of difficulties and embrace courage than just shut up and settle down and just kind of go. You see? I honestly believe many of you have been called to stand up and speak up. I really do. But all of us have sat down and shut up. We as a church will have opportunities through you to stand up for injustice, to stand up for the broken, to stand up for the forgotten. Because we know Jesus is there with them. We know he loves them. And he loves us. And let us not forget 
that Jesus' mission is for the lost. May God bless you and may God bless his word.